0: Why don't we open our Bibles? We're going to go to the book of Jude. Book of Jude. And uh, Jude, chapter. Chapter. Jude. Yeah, chapter Jude. Uh, the Bible software I use, you have to click the one, chapter one. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and read the whole book like we've been doing. So starting in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints." For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this: how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under the dar- under darkness unto the judgment of the great day even as sodom and gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example suffering the visions of eternal fire likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh despise dominion and speak evil of dignities yet michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of moses durst not bring against him a railing accusation but said the lord rebuke thee But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots." raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust." and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how, they, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own go- ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And unto Him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen let's pray lord thank you for the reading of your word tonight i pray that you would uh, speak to us from it and lord teach us something from it tonight in christ's name amen so we're continuing our jude study Um, we started off in the first week in, in just a really fast flyover. We 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 studied the first two verses where we talked about being sanctified set apart declared holy and then made to be holy Uh, Being preserved kept by Jesus Christ that security that we have that gives us the boldness to preach the gospel Um, We're called that's uh, sanctified and preserved for this purpose. We're called we're called to spread the gospel That's our calling uh, is that we are to spread this faith that was delivered to us We close that message with the fact that he closes this section of the introduction with mercy peace and And love, mercy being that upward look, we definitely need the mercy of God. And if we have received the mercy of God, we definitely need to share the mercy of God with others. We need to share the gospel, which sheds the mercy of God on others when they accept it. We need the peace, which is an inward look. This comes from God. And and as Philippians says, it's uh, the peace of God which passes all understanding and keeps our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then you have love, which is an outward look. That's our motivation. That's our motivating drive. We should be compelled by love um, as, we, as we contend for the faith. Um, and that's where we picked up in our study last week, where we picked up on the emphasis of mercy, peace, and love, that these should be on the forefront of our mind. Um, we talked about uh, love and compassion at the close of the book. If you look at the end, it talks about love again and compassion. Um, and the fact that when we read through <clears throat> verses 3 and 4, we see, we see that He is earnestly, con- uh, I, I'm sorry, writing to us and urging that we would earnestly contend for the faith. And if we're going to do that, we have to be committed to the cause. We've got to know what we believe. We have to know what and why we believe. We have to stay focused on the cause, remembering that we're, we're not getting off on, on tangents on the side, we're focusing on what it is that we're supposed to be contending for. and um, and and honestly staying focused on contending for the faith, not being contentious about the faith. Uh, That story I shared about the guy who was uh, definitely not sharing the gospel uh, when he was telling people they were going to hell uh, and walking away. And then we also have to contend because we're the only ones who can. It was delivered to us. It's our job to contend for it. It's our job to keep it. So, um, we're moving now into a little bit of a different format as we go through, because we're going to go through kind of a verse-by-verse look. And, and I've, I've got it broken up into different sections that we're going to work through. So I'm going to kind of give you an outline that we're going to work through, and then we'll start going through it. Um, so it's, it's five different uh, sections, and, and first, verse 4 is the first one that we'll uh, be going through, and that is the invasion, description, and the work of the apostates. So, as we go through verse 4, we're going to see them invading in the description of them and then their work. Number 2 is the parallels of the apostates. In verses 5 through 10, we'll look at some things that are parallels of the apostates that he talks about. And, and he tells us back, he goes back in time and tells us about uh, different things that are parallels to. Number 3 is the portraits. He paints these portraits and gives us these pictures of the apostates um, in verse 11. Verses 12 through 16, he gives us word pictures. I love word pictures. I like descriptive stories that give us something I can picture in my mind. Um, And and he gives us that in verses 12 through 16. And finally, he gives us encouragement in spite of the apostates. Um, Verses 17 through 19 is where we'll finish up. Is an encouragement of the, uh, in spite of the apostates. So, we're going to start with number one and start working our way through these verses, the invasion description of work of the apostates. So, in verse number four, it says, "...for there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to them condemnation." The, the, the four here kind of gives us like the, the purpose behind. So, he said, we have to earnestly contend for the faith. And then he says, for, why do we, why do we have to earnestly contend for the faith? Well, there's a reason. It's, it's like there's a call to action here that Judas is saying to us. We've got a major thing happening, and it's, it's, it's been happening. There are certain men that word crept is a past tense. It's, it's, it's already happened, and it, it's continuing to happen, but it's being done in secret. It has the connotation of, of if you were sitting by somebody and you wanted to poison them, and you slipped a little bit of poison in their drink while they weren't looking. It's 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 a slipping in, un, unnoticed, trying to slide in on the on the sly, and and not be seen. The danger is, um, it's the destru- to the destruction of the unsuspecting and the unobservant, that these people have come in. It's it's to our own destruction um, if we if we don't heed the alarm that Judas sounding. Um, it says before of old ordained to this condemnation. Before of old ordained. It means, it means this has been written before, to, to write it down before. It's before of old ordained. And, and, and I want to I pause for a second to, to address a thought that sometimes can come through our minds when we see something like, it was before of old ordained, so therefore God predestined this to happen and all of these things that are happening here because God made them happen, He wanted them to happen. Therefore, what should we do to try to stop it? But that's not what it's talking about. Um, if it's saying, saying you know about something, and you've heard this before from our pastor, um, uh, uh, foreknowledge isn't causative. It, knowing something is going to happen does not mean you cause the thing to happen. And I've got a great illustration for that because I have one of the clumsy. well, he's not clumsy as much anymore, but one of the clumsiest children in the world was Jefferson. That kid would trip on air. Um, he, just, he would just fall. Um, and so if, if, if we had Jefferson here and, and there was a stool, and I told Jefferson, don't climb up on that stool, Jefferson, you're going to fall. If you get up on that stool, I know you will fall. Of all people, you're going to fall. And Jefferson climbs up on the stool anyway. What do you think happens to Jefferson? He falls. Did I make him fall? I did not. I knew he was going to. And in fact, if we look at the way that God interacts with us, he knows the destruction, he knows the damnation people are heading towards, and instead of causing it, what is he doing? Don't go that way. I've provided a way of salvation for you. So foreknowledge isn't causative. In fact, foreknowledge of God is a mercy and grace unto us. He warns us. It's an act of love. And so, when we see this that they were before of old ordained, it's it's no, their hands aren't tied to this. It's not that they have to do this. They're being forced into it. God's saying, I knew it was going to happen. I knew this was going to take place, and now I'm warning you about it. They're in the church. They're here, and I know every... None of this is catching me off guard. I know everything about them, and I'm going to tell you about it. And, and look, at, look at what it says about them. It says, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness wow wow grace it's unmerited favor it's 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 getting what you do not deserve grace uh, i'm sorry not getting what you deserve is mercy grace is getting what you do deserve no uh, hold on a second people <laughs> time out grace is getting what you do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace, the grace of our God, and they're turning it into lasciviousness without reverence to God in a deliberate manner. They are taking, turning is to make it into something else, to make it into something it's not. So the grace of our God is being turned into an unbridled lust, an excess shamelessness. The grace of our God is being used For unbridled lust, excess, and shamelessness. They say this, if God's grace is greater than all of my sin, as the song has said, then the more I sin, the more God will exhibit His grace. So let's just let her rip. That's exactly what they do. If God's grace is great enough to forgive all of my sin, then I should be able to now use that to my own advantage and do whatever I want. Paul had something to say about that in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verses 1 and 2 says what? Shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what are the next two words? God forbid, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And when we talk about these ungodly people, they are people who don't just dabble in, they live in sin. And he says, how shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? They're not just turning His grace into lasciviousness. And, and I mean actively living a lifestyle that is, that is in excess, but also teaching you that you ought to live a lifestyle that is in excess, lascivious. It's, you should. It's not just you can, but you ought to, because we love the grace of God and we need more of it, so let's sin more. That's their active, their active push. And then it goes next denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Denying our only the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's blatantly denying the authority of the living God who is above all. He is in all. And He was with us here on this earth and they're denying Him. Um, you realize... Their lifestyle was lascivious, but it wasn't just their actions that they denied God or their words that they denied God with. They're not going to come up to you, shake your hand and say, hi, my name's Jim Bob, and uh, I'm an apostate. You should really deny God and live as sinfully as you want. They don't just introduce themselves like that. They bring this in uh, with, with actions, not always words. When a person becomes apostate, they will stop. They will not stop and they will stoop to condone anything. It doesn't matter how lascivious it is. They will condone anything. Um, well, number two, we're going to look at the parallels of the apostates in verses five through 10, we're going to go into some things that Jude gives to us. And he starts off by paralleling with us those who came out of Egypt. And then he shows us the angels, which kept, which kept not their first estate and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he actually gives us some present day examples in his present day. And it's shocking because it looks like our present day times something. It looks like our present day plus more. So it begins by calling back to memory things, illustrations from the past that parallel apostates. Let's look at 2 Peter because it's just right back from Jude. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2. Because it's something that he gives to us, because he, he, what he says in, in Jude, in Jude chapter, or in Jude uh, verse 5, it says, I'll put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, how that the Lord. He brings, he brings the Lord into play before he ever starts talking about them, how that the Lord. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 4 says, uh, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be received... Uh, reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved knowing the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the uh, world of of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Asad and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned uh, them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Jude starts off by pointing out how that the Lord. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at the children of Israel and the mixed generation or the mixed multitude that came out. We're going to look at the angels. We're going to look at Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to look at the present day. But remember how that the Lord if, if God knows how to deal with all of these four things, and these are big things, these are major things. If God knows how to deal with that, I think maybe when it comes to dealing with them, we should leave it up to Him. And it kind of is laid out here in our passage. Peter assumes that we remember, and then he calls attention, trust God. Trust His ability to handle the permanent solution because only He has the permanent solution, only He has the ability to permanently deal. Jude points out how that the Lord alone, the Lord alone can handle the permanent judgment. So, he talks here, if we're back in Jude, he talks here about um, how the Lord having saved, that's a physical salvation, the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward, destroyed them that believed not. I remember reading this for the first, was a long time ago, but I remember reading this for the first time being like, He saved them and then He destroyed, saved people? What? How is that? He didn't save them, salvation out of Egypt, He physically brought them out, saved them out of the land of Egypt. It's a physical salvation there. But when the children of Israel were saved out of the land, they didn't leave alone. Exodus 12:38 talks about a mixed multitude that came up with them, and it says that they brought cattle and everything with them. So a mixed multitude traveled with them. After, I mean, Egypt, imagine Egypt's state after Israel left. They had looted them by the Egyptians literally giving them jewels and money and food. And just here, take this stuff. And they leave, and then Pharaoh and their entire army is destroyed when the Red Sea closes in on them. What do you think Egypt was looking like? I think a power vacuum may have happened. So a mixed multitude leaves out with them. Um, in Numbers 11:45, though, it calls them a mixed, M-I-X-T, mixed multitude. Um, and the word can also say the rabble or the rabble rousers. You ever been called a rabble rouser? I don't think I have. Maybe behind my back, uh, if you, you probably have too, and you just don't know it. A rabble rouser. Afterward, he destroyed them that believed not. Here's what, here's what it's saying in verse five. It says, you know, God saved the people out of the land of Egypt. The mixed multitude came along with them. Afterward, what did God what what did the Israelites do to those people? They didn't destroy them. Who destroyed them? God. Afterward, he destroyed. He took care of them. After, after, after He brought them out, uh, uh, He destroyed them that believed not. Um, uh, he dealt with those who had reformed, but they weren't regenerated. There's, they were people who were there. And you know, these people, were, these people were murmuring, these people were bringing up disputes with the children of Israel, and actually rabble-rousing. They were, they were kind of encouraging them into uh, complaining that this manna was here, and we, want, we wish we had the bitter herbs back from Egypt. Okay, I've had bitter herbs. They're disgusting. Um, but whatever, uh, you, you do you. Uh, verse 6, it says, "Into the angels, the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Wow. The same word is used there when it says they kept not their first estate, and then afterwards it says he reserved them. Same word. They wouldn't keep their estate, so what did God do? He kept them. He reserved them. So, it's, he, he reserved them. They chose not to keep their first estate. They left their own habitation. They fall from heaven, then they leave their realm, and they start mixing with the people of the world. They start mixing with the daughters of men. In Genesis uh, 6, um, they didn't keep their first estate. So, what did God do? He's keeping them in everlasting chains the word does not lend itself to figurative speech. They are literally chained. They're chained by the decree of God. They're not getting out. And they're chained, they're chained under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now here's a thought, here's a thought. Matthew 8, 28 talks about the fact when Jesus comes in and the demons say, what what do we have to do with you? You come to torment us before, before the time? Like, it, it's not time yet. It, it gives the idea that the demons, they're haunted by the fact that judgment's coming for them. They're haunted by the fact that a day is coming. And they told Jesus, you're going you're to torment us before the time. It's not time yet. They're, they're, they're nervous. Now, imagine these demons. They're chained. These demons saw heaven. They saw God in all of His glory. They were in the light. And now where are they today? They're chained in darkness, and they're just chained until it's time for judgment. How about that? I think God can handle things, don't you? I mean, He's handled, I don't know how I would handle the demons, but it probably wouldn't have been this way. God has a plan for them, and He's going to execute His plan. Uh, Next it says, even as, so we're just continuing, even as Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody know anything about those cities? Sodom and Gomorrah. We've heard about them before, and the cities about them in like manner. It wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain were there, and they were all wicked. And it says, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh. And then He says, they're set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go too far down the road. But, but when angels came into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to tell to tell Lot, Lot, get your family and get out. God's going to destroy this place. The men of the city were banging on the door, trying to break it down to get to the angels. Think about that. These men were wicked. They were they were vile, and they were going after. Now we won't we. Lot was wicked to himself. The Bible says that he was righteous, and says that he was vexing his righteous soul. But, but the wickedness of this city, they were given over to fornication. In fact, the only thing that controlled their actions was fornication and lasciviousness. Sounds familiar, It sounds like the apostates. It's a parallel, going after strange flesh. Romans 1, 26 and 27 says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust towards one another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Uh, leaving the natural use of the body. It, it, what we're saying here is that things were pretty bad then, and God could handle it, and He did handle it. Set forth for an example, Example is a sample or a specimen. What it's saying to us, what it's saying to us here is, it's just a sampling of the vengeance of God and his wrath and His judgment. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah and think about it. Can God handle it? Will God handle it? We really do need to think about this. God's going to handle it one day. In um, each of these parallels. I mean, it's not hard to think about Lot, because he, he vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Within himself, he was conflicted. He was vexed within himself with all the unlawfulness that was around him, God's law that was being broken. Each of these parallels, we see danger, because, because in, in the children of Israel that left Egypt, they had the mixed multitude with them that was influencing them. You have the angels that left their own habitation, and they influenced the daughters of men. You have, you have Sodom and Gomorrah, who had an influence on Lot lost everything. Read the story. He lost everything. He walked out of that city with his wife, and even she turned her back, and she turned back to look with a longing look towards Sodom, and he was left alone. And, and his story is tragic. If you look at the rest of the life of Lot, All of these three, these, these are, they're not just what God's gonna do to them, but look at the danger involved with them. There's a risk here. Um, And then he says, likewise also. Verse eight is, is, verse eight is connected to five, six, and seven, a thousand percent over connected. Likewise. Also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. We're shifting into what we would say Jude's present day almost. We're pointing into now, this is today. Does it sound familiar? Defile the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil of dignities? It sounds kind of familiar today. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not the guy that's like, oh, our society is so terrible. But our society is so terrible. It just is. Our world's, our world's wicked. Um, every si- the filthy dreamers, every single thought they have, is filthy. Every imagination they have is filthy. They can't dwell on anything but filth. They can't dwell on anything but sinfulness. That's what they're consumed with. And it says that they defile the flesh. Your thoughts become actions. Your your imaginations will become deeds. And these people do nothing but dream of filth, and so they defile the flesh. They do nothing but dream of filth So they despise, or they reject, they refuse, they disregard, or they will nullify dominion. What's dominion? Power, lordship, authority. They despise it. Um, Just like the angels who left their first estate, this is a rebellion against the authority of God Himself. And then it says, they speak evil of, they rail against or blaspheme dignities. People who should command our respect, authority. Powers that are ordained of God. Uh, I'm sorry, powers that are, powers, the powers that are ordained are of God. Romans 13, 1. um, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Um, These people reject those things. And then he goes on. Yet, Michael, let's keep going. Yet, Michael, let's bring up an example. The archangel, verse 9. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation. This is the only place in the Bible we read about this story. I think that's cool. It happens twice in the book of Jude. We don't know about this story. So you have Michael. Would you like to have seen that? Michael the archangel and Satan, Lucifer, fighting over the body. Well, I don't know about that part, but fighting against each other over the body of Moses. Now, what in the world did Satan want with the body of Moses? Uh, it doesn't say in black and white, so I will not say emphatically, but I think it had something to do with deceiving the children of Israel. They were pretty prone to deception. Uh, and it's something to do with that. So God said, no, he's going to be hidden and he's, he's buried today, it says, in a sepulcher that no man knows where it is. So we don't know where Moses' tomb is, where he's buried. But he, he, he contended with the devil over the body of Moses. But this is the cool part of the story. Durst not, he dared not, like, it's like, he would never dare bring against Satan. Satan, Satan, the bad guy of every story in the Bible, the bad guy, he dared not bring against him a railing accusation. Well, if anybody deserves a railing accusation, I think the devil could use a good... Well, should I... Should I, I heard a, a story one time of a young preacher who you're going to hear it anyway, a young preacher who, who got so worked up in his message that he cursed. He accidentally said a bad word, and he was so embarrassed. And somebody yelled out because he was talking about how bad Satan was, and they said he needed a good cussing. Uh, okay, it didn't happen here. That was not about me. But he, he dared not, if anybody deserves a railing accusation, what, what, is, what is this railing accusation? It's a judgment of railing. It's a declaration of a judgment. Um, If anybody deserves that, Satan would. But Michael dared not go beyond the limitations or the boundaries of his task that was given to him. Michael, you go get the body of Moses. I want you burying it. I don't want anybody knowing where he's buried. Uh, Many think that the people of Israel would have set up a shrine to Moses, and they would not have wanted to go into the Promised Land because Moses, their leader, was here. Michael, go hide the body of Moses. I want it buried somewhere. And he gets into a fight with Satan over the body, contending with him about the body. And he doesn't bring a railing accusation against him because that's not his job. That's interesting. Michael the Archangel dared not go beyond his boundaries of his task. No railing slander against Satan. It's interesting how he leaves that. The Lord rebuke thee. Now. We could say things, and we do sometimes say things we probably ought not to. They're beyond our, they're above our pay grade to say. We can probably make some statements, but nothing, nothing is as impactful as the Lord rebukes you. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to rail against you. I don't want to assassinate your character. I don't want, you know what? God will handle this we probably could use a dose of Michael's restraint every once in a while in our lives. The Lord rebuke thee. I'm hands off. He'll do a better job at it than I can. I can tell you stories about the children of Israel and the mixed multitude, the the angels that kept me. He'll handle it, and He'll handle it better than I can. Uh, Man, we should remember our place sometimes in our calling. Ephesians 6, 12 and 13 should be, if we believed in it, tattooed on our foreheads for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want to punch flesh and blood in the face, but that's not who I'm wrestling against. Who are we wrestling against? But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. That's what Jude talks about, contending for the faith. Stand, hold fast, keep the faith. Um, then he goes into verse 10, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. If you don't know anything about it, you probably should be quiet. My teacher in school, Miss Eastwood, used to say, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know? <laughs> but these speak evil of those things which they know not. Wow! Thank you for sharing your entire brain, which was empty. They're ignorant blasphemers. That's what they are. They're ignorant blasphemers. Isn't it strange that often those who speak the loudest know the least? They're colossal, it's a colossal ignorance of spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We're gonna get to that eventually. They are sensual having not the spirit. They don't understand these things, but what do they do with the things they don't understand? They speak evil of them. And then he says, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves in the things they know naturally. Romans 1, 21 and 22. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Yeah. Number three, we have the portraits of the apostates. Verse number 11, it says, Woe unto them! It's the first of the woes. If you're reading through your Bible from Jude and going into Revelation, there are four woes that are pronounced in Revelation. Apocalyptic woes. Woe unto them. Woe unto them. It's interesting, the people, people are abandoning the very Christianity, the very faith to which they owe every moral and material blessing in their life people who live in this country today who have moral and material blessings from almighty God and they're they're rejecting the faith they reject him um it's interesting woe unto them why do we woe unto them here's why for they've gone in the way of cain the way of cain cain didn't deny god's existence if you go back into genesis cain doesn't go god doesn't exist therefore no cain was going to worship Right? He, he, there's an altar, there's an offering involved. What did Cain do? He brought his works. He brought a man-made religion, the first of the man-made religions, and he comes to God, and he tries to bring his work, he tries to come his own way, and it's rejected. And so, so, so God says, no, it's only through the blood. It's only through the the image of what Jesus Christ would do, the Messiah would come and be that lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So this picture that we have of the lamb that that his brother Abel brought, and Cain is bringing his man-made religion, he's bringing his works, the works of his hands. And what you see with Cain is what you still see today with man-made religion. You see resentment, and you see rebellion, because we know We know we've been taught the truth. We've been taught what is right. We know from His Word what is right. Yet we are resenting that what we can offer is not good. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We know that what we can offer, what we offer is not good and not acceptable. Um, And, and, and then we rebel against it anyway. How about that? Then it says, "Rin greedily after the error of Balaam for reward." Balaam's story is, is, is pretty lengthy, um, but, but Balaam, Balaam was hired uh, by, by uh, Balak to, to curse the children of Israel. And he tried, and he couldn't. And when he tried, God blessed him. I pronounce a curse upon thee, and God says, All right, you said blessing, I'm blessing them. No, I said curse. Okay, I'll bless them again. And Balak's like, are you kidding me? I've asked you to curse them and you keep blessing them. I'm not blessing them. Deal's off. Money's off the table. Go away. You've lost your throne. You, you've lost your anything I'm going to give to you. Go away. And, and Balaam, Balaam comes back to him. So sad. He says, you know what? I can't curse them, But I can help you corrupt them." And so he did. You look at Balaam, and you look at him going to Balak, and he says, I tell you what, you tell your girls to put on pretty dresses, and you tell them to go out there, and you get those boys, and they'll follow those girls, and they'll go into idolatry, and they'll go into immorality. And as a result of this, 24,000 men of Israel died because because of the error, which is a leading astray of Balaam. And why did Balaam do it? for a reward. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is not money that's the root of all evil, so if you want to give me money, I'll take it. But the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not just a financial reward necessarily. In this story it was. Um, and then we see the last thing it says in perished. Perished. Look at John 3, 4, uh, 15 and 316. What does it say? They should not perish. It's the same word is the destruction. They perished in the gainsaying of Kor. They perished in the contradiction of Kor. Korah Korah contradicted. He he spoke against God's man, and he spoke against God's system. He spoke against God's God's organized structure that he put into place through the contradictions that he brought. And and again, I don't want to harp on this, I don't want to just constantly harp, but again, Moses and Aaron didn't destroy them. Moses and Aaron said, all right, you bring it, we're going to meet. And they wouldn't come and talk with them. And then finally Moses said, get here, we're going to do this. And God came out from the tabernacle, and God's the one that destroyed. God's the one that took care of it. Um, They just took a stand for right, and they wouldn't back down. Number four, we have for 12, uh, verses 12 through 16, the word pictures of the apostates. Verse 12, <clears throat> these are spots in your Feast of Charity when they feast with you. Spots. Spots are, spots are uh, if, if you ever been to Payette Lake up in McCall, um, when, when you go to Payette Lake, um, uh, we will rent every once in a while, we're in a jet ski. We've rented a boat there before. Um, There's a map of the lake that they give you because they like their boats, and they don't think that you'll have enough money to pay for a boat if you break it. And the map has little zones that says, don't go here. And in Payette Lake, there's, I don't, I think it's called the Narrows. There's a place, there's a big old part where, where McCall is, and it goes through the Narrows, and there's this whole other big part of the lake. But you have to go through the Narrows, and you have to go on this side. And there's, they're not very, you'd think they'd be bigger buoys, but they're not very big but they denote the channel because on the other side, and we've gone slow through there, there are rocks that far below the surface. Now you go through there at speed with a boat and you will not have a bottom underneath you and you will suddenly turn into a diving expedition. Um, That's what, these are spots in your Feast of Charity. Spots kind of sounds like I've got freckles and I'm gonna see them. No, spots, that's a hidden danger. These are spots in your Feast of Charity. Unseen danger. <clears throat> In the ancient orient, eating with somebody was not just a casual thing. You just sit down and eat with somebody and, oh, well, thanks, and got up and left. Um, we, <laughs> uh, we, we heard a message one time. I had the boys. We were at a pastor's fellowship and, and the guy brought, it was a phenomenal message on the, the what's called the covenant of salt. And, and it was, a, if, if you sat down with somebody to eat with them, you were essentially making a, a covenant with them. And you weren't going to betray them; they weren't going to betray you. And you were now in league with that person. It was a it was a covenant agreement made with them. Um, and uh, uh, essentially, these are spots, unseen dangers, in your feast of charity. You're trying to show kindness and be loving, and you're bringing them in and making covenants with them. Be careful. I mean, it's, these are spots in your feast of charity, unseen danger. Be careful. And then look at how the apostates come in, because we're talking about the covenant of salt, or we're talking about that, that bond that's formed over a, a meal. Um, I mean, I'm pretty serious about eating, so if I eat with you, well, I will eat anyway, so it doesn't matter. But, uh, but they're coming in and eating, and it says they're feeding themselves without fear. Well, should they be afraid of you or me? No. You know what they're without fear of? God. They're feeding themselves at your Feast of Charity and trying to join in with you, and because you'll keep a covenant, covenant agreement with them, but they know they're not going to. In the Orient, they would not eat with somebody if they knew they might betray them. They, like, they took this seriously. And it says that, that they're here concealing, that they're here for your destruction. They have no consideration, without fear, they have no consideration about the coming destruction. Don't care, no fear. Then it goes into, and we're going to, we're going to quickly go through these. It says, clouds, they are without water, carried about of winds. Um, We used to have a guy in our church in Jacksonville. Every time we had a Wednesday night service, he had one of two things he needed to say uh, when he raised his hand. First of all, pray that it rains. That's if it hadn't rained. Pray that it rains. If it had rained, praise the Lord for the rain every single time. Now, he's a farmer. We had a 160-acre working farm out in McClinney, and uh, he needed rain. They didn't have irrigation. And I mean, South's not a big deal to have irrigation, needing irrigation, but he prayed for the rain. He wanted the rain. And if a cloud came in and went over, what is that? That's disappointment. That's all. What, what do they bring? Nothing. They're disappointing. They're clouds without water. They're carried about of wind. How about the trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots? If you have any guesses about what these trees look like, they're dead. That's what they are. They're dead. They're disappointments. They're dead. Raging waves of the sea. Now, we've talked about this. They're dangerous. Don't play with the waves. Uh, We're talking about a Florida vacation in a couple of years, and I'm like... Jefferson, the clumsy one, has no fear of anything, and he's like Jefferson. uh, Raging waves, foaming out their own shame. And then it says, Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I've read about this with the wandering stars thought. They're doomed. It's reserved for them. Blackness of darkness forever. But the wandering stars, that, that before they really had mapped out everything, which we still haven't mapped out everything in the sky. They're looking, the stars kind of stay fixed, don't they? I mean, hundreds of billions, maybe it should start with a T. Um, uh, there's more stars than our national debt. How about that? Um, barely. But uh, they're fixed. They just seem to be fixed in the sky, constellations and everything. And every once in a while, this thing would appear in the sky and then it would be gone, a planet. They called them a wandering star because it. it, it it's, there, it's not there anymore. What happened? And we now know, we can see that we know which planet we're looking at, and they, we know they move around because they're revolving around the sun with us, not around us, uh, even though I still feel like I'm the center of the universe sometimes and live that way. But wandering stars, there's no, no rhyme, no reason, just wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, I love this, is the second one. Only time you read about this in the Bible. We don't know what Enoch preached. And then we read Jude and we have it. What did Enoch preach? Is, so Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all to, uh, uh, that are ungodly among them with, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their un, uh, hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them, You know what what Enoch was preaching about? Enoch was preaching about our future. Wow! So, so Jude calls our mind back, and he says, hey, Enoch, Enoch was telling them, do you know what our age is compared to, as it was in the days of Noah? Enoch comes before Noah. So, as it was in those days, as leading up to a horrible time, Enoch in that time is prophesying and saying, hey, It's the same it's the same message. Judgment is coming. Repent. Judgment's coming. God's wrath will fall. Repent. It's the same message. Repent before it's too late. And we have our final description before we move on to the last point. These are murmurers. You may know what a murmur is. It's a it's a noise. It's it's that uh, mutter or a grumble in a low tone. It's it's murmuring is is showing sorta, your discontentment. I'm not contented. I'm murmuring a little bit. Um, any mothers had children murmur? Uh, yeah. Uh, please don't backhand them. Just raise your hand. Um, murmurs, discontentment, but they don't leave it at being discontented. They're complainers. Now they're saying it out loud. Now they're, now they're expressing. And then it says walking. We know what walking is in the Bible. Walking is your life. That's how they live. What do they walk in? Their own lust. Just, they just walk in their own lust. They're, they're not falling into lust. They're not stepping into lust and stepping out. This is their lifestyle. Their livelihood is lust. And it says, Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Second Peter again, um, I, I didn't say this. Second Peter 2 is, is sort of a parallel with Jude. Second uh, Peter two eighteen in nineteen says, "For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantedness. These that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For whom a man is overcome, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage." Hey, they they walk in the, the the lust. Why do they walk in the lust? because the thing they're going after is the thing that's absolutely taken them into bondage. Everything they say is a lie. And and I'm saying this because Jude has given us time after time after time where he's told that God's going to take care of them. God's going to take care of them. But how many times do we fall into the trap of murmuring and complaining and walking in lust? How many times do we fall in that trap ourselves? It's all a lie. It's all a lie, but this is a word of caution to us as well. Um, number five, and we're going to finish. Verse 17, it says, um, but beloved. That's a familial term of endearment. If you go over to Israel and you listen closely, you'll hear Arabic people say habibi. And habibi means my love. Men, talking to men, because it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, an affectionate society. Same thing with uh, in the Hebrew. They've kind of stolen the word and they go uh, They'll say, Haviv, and it's, it's, it's beloved, it's love, my love. Um, it's it's that, that term of endearment he's now giving us. He, he says, he says, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, they told you there would be mockers. They said that in the last time. Who should walk after their own ungodly lust?" And then he finishes up in verse 19, verse 19, These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. We're not, we're not dealing with safe people who were just obstinate. We're dealing with people who don't have the Spirit. Wicked, vile, turning God's grace into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, he says hey, remember what the apostles said. How do they know what the apostle said? Because the next generation is perpetuating it. How do we know what the apostles said? We have the Word of God, but we need to be teaching every single generation what the Word of God says. We should be teaching. Um, none of this is a surprise to God. It should not be a surprise to us that the lost will live like the lost. should not shock us. And do notice in verse 19, these be they who separate themselves. They're, they're the ones who will walk away. They're the ones who will look and say, ah, ah, they'll walk away. They're sensual. They don't have the Spirit. Um, we're not going to continue through tonight. We're going to pick up in verse 20 next week and finish the book. Um, but it gives us an encouragement to go on in the face of this age of apostasy that we see before us today. And I've said it before, we're going we're to examine it closer but we're bringing this sucker back home to mercy, peace, and love. We're going to talk about compassion, and how, what do we do? Are we, we're supposed to contend for the faith, but what, how, does the, how does the book end? How does Jude finish with his instructions to us? And That's what we're going to pick up um, next week. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the day, and thank You for Your Word. Um, I pray that, uh, I pray this is helpful. Um, thank You for teaching me from your word, uh, tonight. I pray that you would bless, um, as we go our way, give us safety and, um, ask this season in Christ's name. Amen.